Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today comes to us from Northern Virginia. He is one Scott Fallon. Scott Fallon is a member of the band known as the Free Flowing Musical Experience. He is from Alexandria, Virginia and lives in Alexandria, Virginia. He is a corporate recruiter. A musician, of course, and he is the founder of Alexandria's Cryptozoology and Paranormal Society. I'll be dropping some links to several things that I've just mentioned here in the show notes. We ask Scott what he is currently working on creatively or what is inspiring him at the moment, and well, he mentioned that he is working on writing new songs for the free-flowing musical experience. They're hoping to uh, release some sort of an album in the near future, and uh, he's generally inspired by kindness in people, observations from life, gigging, and uh, general observations. Scott is a big football fan as well as a soccer fan. He also enjoys walking his dogs and being with his wife. In terms of any favorite TV shows to watch or stream, he's a big fan of uh, anything UFO or Bigfoot related, ancient aliens, uh, and he also mentioned that he loved Breaking Bad. For our conversation today, we'll be talking about rock icon Neil Young and his third solo record titled After the Gold Rush. After the Gold Rush was released on September 19th of 1970 on Reprise Records. After the Gold Rush was recorded in a few different places, namely Sunset Sound Studios in Los Angeles and Neil Young's Basement Studio in Topanga Canyon. Uh, Neil Young, David Briggs, and Kendall Passios, you could say, all had a hand in producing, mixing, and mastering. Were there any guest performers on the album? Well, Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young lended some backing vocals on one track. And uh, you're also going to be hearing some contributions from Nils Lofgren as well. So right before we recorded this podcast, there was an announcement in regards to Neil Young going out on an old barn tour with his cohorts known as Crazy Horse. So no tour dates have been announced to date, but check the interwebs just to see what Neil has planned for potentially this year or beyond. Without further ado, let's welcome Scott Fallon of the Free Flowing Musical Experience to the program. Scott Fallon, it is such a pleasure to have you on the program cover to cover today. Thanks so much for taking some time. I'm really looking forward to speaking about After the Gold Rush with you. It was great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So uh, after the Gold Rush is uh, Neil Young's third solo record. Um, how did this album? Where did it? Where did it? Be, where did it begin for you? And uh, how did this album wind up in your record collection? You know, it's that's a great question. Here's the long story. I'll try to give you the long and the short of it. It's uh, you know, right around the time I first got turned on to it, it was. Uh, the song after the gold rush, it was like right when classic rock radio was finally coming out. And I'm at that time, I guess it was probably around 1985 or so for me, uh, maybe 84. Yes. Yeah, probably around 84. 
and that song after the Gold Rush came on, I remember sitting there listening to it, and I, was, I laughed. I said, what the hell is this, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was yeah. like way in. I was like way in the heavy metal and shit at the time, you know. So it was yeah. like okay. So, but then you listen to it again, and you know, as the aspiring hippie I wanted to be, it was kind of like I said, you know, it started to resonate. The lyrics started resonating with me. And so this was also about a time where me and my brother, we were, you know, we grew up listening to records, you know, sitting listening to forty fives from the time we're probably about five years old, and always had albums around the house, but about that time too we were old enough to start driving so we'd go to yard sales and buy records you know so then i would get you ran out of heavy metal records to listen to and you get started getting turned on some more classic rock stuff so it was a song after the gold rush and that one just ended up in front of me one day you know so that was like okay yeah. we'll listen to that one you know and it, it's sort of still to this day like it's like when you even asked me is like hey you know what's the album that one that's like influential in your life and I was sitting there it wasn't even really that hard to think because I have like a big stack of albums in front of my record player now you know and one of the ones that's always out there is After the Gold Rush so that's the kind of the long and short version of how it ended up there that's awesome he's uh you know, there's a reason why Neil Young, you know is in, in you know kind of in contemporary discussions he's referred to as a as a godfather of grunge you know he's really straddled many different genres, many different eras of music, you know, whether it's folk, whether it's, um, you know, his collaborations with uh, Pearl Jam back in the early 90s, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it even goes back further than that. You know, you think about, you know, like, like uh, everyone knows this is nowhere. Like, he was almost, so the Grateful Dead were doing, like, jam band stuff at the time, but even the Grateful Dead hadn't really matured into a true jam band, and I mean, they did some long jams, don't get me wrong. I don't want to upset any deadheads out there. But, right. like, songs like on uh, Everyone Knows This Is Nowhere, like Cowgirl in the Sand, those are, like, uh, like a song that really is just four chords and Neil Young just jamming, like, shit on it, you know? And then, right. then you get, like, an album, like, After the Gold Rush, where it's, you know, just so folky. And I don't know, you know, and as a musician, most of the songs are really simple and Mm-hmm. When I was listening, get turned on to this, I was, like I said, I was way into heavy metal and shit, you know, like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and this was such a far cry from that, but there's just that certain appeal. And then, you know, he's not afraid to take a risk. You can see that even, you know, at that, that time I was still just starting to play guitar and stuff, and you take some of these certain simple things, but then take a risk. Like the song after the gold rush is just such a risk putting yourself out there, uh, mm-hmm. just straight up piano, uh, and quite right, you know, for the falsetto voice. And it's like, wow. But then you take that, you know, he got went out, you know, young, even before, way before Pearl Jam, uh, he was putting records out, uh, like in the eighties, he has like one where it's like an all electronic record. And let me tell you what, man, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you used to be able to get like I'm trying to remember the name of the record. I have a couple of them up upstairs in my in my band room, and you know they're all you could get them in the cutout section, across the water. Yeah. I think it is. I think that's the name of it. Uh, okay. He has some really shitty albums in there, but you know the thing about it. So what? He was like, I'm just going to do it on my own terms, you know. And you know, there's some stuff that really. I was great within that from the time from 70 all the way till, you know, and then came back to his roots with Harvest Moon. But then, you know, 
in Godfather Grunge, he could still, you know, that's even like the songs on uh, uh, After the Gold Rush, he could take like, when you dance, uh, you turn that into a hard rocking song. I'd be there listening to like Rest Never Sleep, so you could turn off, and even like uh, uh, Hey Hey My My, you know, turn that into a like a hard rocking song. So not afraid to take risks, not afraid to change things, and that's like you even listen to uh, stuff like uh, Rockin' in the Free World, the acoustic version versus the electric version. It's like a tale of two different artists, but it's just Neil Young doing his thing. We're talking with Scott Fallon of the Free Flow and Musical Experience here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarkin. Uh, you know, Scott, I think it's fair to say that we're talking about Neil Young as the lead vocalist of this solo record can you tell our listeners who some of the additional musicians that are accompanying Neil on this third solo record of his? Well, I think the ones, the, the, uh, the most notable ones were, I think it was Bruce Witness, the guitarist. That's the one uh, who was Needle and the Damaged Dumb was written about, uh, you know, who eventually died of heroin overdose. And then the two of note, you know, Stephen Stills uh, came, well, this came out right after, uh, deja Vu, too. So you had Neil Young was trying to incorporate all these different players together to get right. everybody out there. And, you know, here he is again taking more and more risk, trying to put different people together. One of them that's, like, local, who's kind of someone who's still a great influence, who's one of the most underrated guitarists, at least in my opinion, is uh, Nils Lofgren. And at that point, he was just, I think, looking back, I think he was like 17 or 18 years old when he was first asked to appear on that album. But the funny thing is, it's, Neil had like three other guitars, so he's like, well, fuck you, you're going to play piano. <laughs> so he's like, all right. And I think he played some piano, but he certainly was. Nils is definitely not known for his piano play, you know? So, right, right. Uh, but then uh, I know the, the drummer was still, I'm trying to remember his name, he was also the long-time drummer for Crazy Horse. Uh, and those guys stuck around with him for years and years and years. So, Talking with Scott Fallon here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. And, um, you know, Scott, you mentioned that, uh, you know, this is kind of, well, this is certainly Neil's third solo album, but this is, you know, right, it was, it was released shortly after, uh, deja vu. Do you think that you know many of the pieces of music on After the Gold Rush um, fit really well, or do you think that Neil is is getting more kind of explorational in, in you know in his uh, with his musical palette here? Do you think he's just trying a lot of new stuff and just seeing you know, what, what sticks to the know, wall? When you take Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, and throw Neil Young into it, I don't know. He's like the uh, the run of the letter. He's the one who made the band cool, you know, and I think it's kind of like, and I think I'm a big fan of David Crosby, Steven Stills, and Graham Nash. Don't get me wrong, but like even when it was like, I guess it was like in right before 2000, right after 2000, Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young toured. Yeah. They would come out and I saw them at Verizon. So I think it was Capital One Arena. So I can't remember what it was. In DC. Was this the Looking Forward tour? Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah. Uh, please don't quote me on that. Well, I guess you are. I'm on the show. But uh, no, I, every I time the record came out, yeah. it was like, yeah, yeah, the whole place it just erupts, you know. And yeah. I, I think that's what he did uh, with the 
you know, but I'm trying to think of Four Way Street, you know, with Neil Young, and it's like the songs of Neil Young just come to a different level. Yeah. And it's, I don't necessarily, he's certainly not the greatest guitar player, but his guitar playing is just so, uh, I don't know, it's just so angry and raw. You know, it's just a contradiction to what uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were doing, like especially if you saw those guys at Woodstock. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, and I guess a more, you know, you know, again, not knocking the Eagles for what they do. I'm not a huge Eagles fan, but it's like when you drop Joe Walsh into the Eagles, all of a sudden it's just like a, uh, quote, traffic, like a rock and roll stew. That's really, here's that piece that doesn't really fit in there, but really brings out a different element of the band. So to answer your question, you know, I don't think uh, after the Gold Rush, I think it's a completely different uh, type of record than, say, Deja Vu. Deja Vu is had some great songs on there. I think the closest thing on there would probably be like almost cut my hair, but you hear a lot of that. That's, I think that's Neil Young's guitar playing in there. That very simple staccato, uh, angry guitar that Neil Young made famous. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you get certain things like that, you know, Southern man's in there, you know, there's still that era of protest in there. Cause I was still the Nash. I think they wrote a protest song about everything, you know, but after the gold rush, protest song southern man you know hey, hey these are two songs right now that are still uh ringing true you know environment you know talking about racism things like right. that those are the things that still resonate today so answer your question i guess now that i'm answering that question i said a little bit yeah now but not so much this feels like a really good time to talk about your favorite tracks um would you like to go track by track or would you like to just Pick out your absolute favorites on After the Gold Rush, and we can dissect them. Yeah, let's go uh, track by track. Let's do that. That sounds like fun. Do you want to start with the title track, After the Gold Rush, or would you like to start with uh, Tell Me Why, which is kind of this breezy sort of back porch type of tune? Tell Me Why. We'll start with that one, sure. And it's, uh, you know, that was like, again, you know, when, when this album came out, too, it's like you said, Neil Young is cool because I saw my brother one time, he turned me on to different shit. We watched, uh, uh, this has nothing to do with the song, but we watched uh, uh, Russ Never Sleeps, or was it live? Russ, it was the concert video with Neil Young, where the first half is like acoustic, and the second half is all electric. And then I watched it, and I was like, this guy, I thought, at first I thought it was cheesy, but then you see it was good. But then at my level of guitar playing, I said, I can play this, you know. So I would play Tell Me Why, to kind of Turn me on, like to be able to play that country twang, just like a little bit of rockabilly back and forth from the strumming pattern. So that's the great thing about that song. It's you know a song I probably started playing acoustic probably back in 1986, and it was a staple of my set when I used to play solo coast acoustic for a while. And uh, just a great song all around. That's the thing. It's on uh, one of my favorite versions of it is uh, I think it's Live from Massey Hall. And it's a live CD from, I think, Massey Hall in Canada. Yeah. And you talk, it's a funny thing, like in the liner notes of Live at Massey Hall, one of the, they have like a uh, uh, critical, I mean, some rock critics' uh, notes on there. It said, Neil Young will be known for years and years of his great voice and not for his songwriting. I said, wow, I guess that wasn't a guy who was a, <laughs> a rock and roll critic very long. Talking, talking to Scott Fallon here, the free-flowing musical experience here on Cover to Cover. 
with Matt Tarka. And uh, after Tell Me Why, we have this title track, which is really minimalist and stripped down. It's, it's Neil's vocals accompanied by piano. And uh, if I were to, you know, quickly mention here that this could be, I don't know, touching on, I don't know, global warming, climate change. Yeah. Would, that, would that be a fair assessment, or do you think that it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a throwaway line where, you know, there's that chorus, you know, that changes, you know, every verse, but look at Mother Nature on the Run in the 1970s. Yeah, I, like I said, I think this totally speaks to that, you know, and it's a lot of the problems that we were having in the 70s are, here we are again repeating history. And Neil Young was singing about that back in the 70s, yeah. you know, and there was a lot of uh, bills, and not to start talking about politics and stuff like that and from 1970s politics, but a lot right. of things back in those days, they were passed as a result of some of the, you know, I think you could say there's a protest song too, definitely. You know, yeah. you're talking about the Clean Water Act and a lot of the Clean Air Act. These are things that came out of the 60s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the thing with that song too, I, I would say it's, I don't know, I don't think, and if, if you don't know Neil Young, and I can imagine like a little kid listening to the music today, if you tried to turn him on to that song first, they probably just scoff at you and say like, what the fuck is that? But, you know, now it's kind of like, have you listen to that song, at least for me, it's it's moving. Like there's certain songs, no matter when you listen to them, uh, you know, make the hair in your neck stick up. You know, there's oh, a certain thing about it. That flugelhorn solo is exquisite. Yeah. 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 And it's like, who thought of that? You know, that's like you read the liner notes. And yeah. I don't know who the flugelhorn player is, but, you know, what a great Neil Young. Hey, let's play this solo song on piano protest song about the environment. By the way, do we have anyone who plays flugelhorn? You know, right. so like, right. I'm sure the guys in the room are like, "Yeah, whatever, Neil." You know, but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, the well the the uh, the creators of that television show Match surely love the good flugelhorn and the opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. You're right. Then somewhere out there, there's some dude who's going. That's that's what he's got going for him. Hey, so how's your music career going? Well, you know. Uh, I had that flugelhorn gig on Neil Young's album back in 1970, but since then, uh, sat in as a backup flugelhorn player on the MASH team. Other than that, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, after after the gold rush, we have... Um... No, wait, Matt. Back to the flugelhorn. I got so much... You want to keep about. talking about the flugelhorn? Listen, All right. listen. Hey, this is my show tonight. Don't try to leave the after the gold rush flugelhorn. So maybe you don't know that the flu. No, go ahead. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, no. <laughs> Do you have something else? For this the is the most I've ever talked about a flugelhorn in my entire life. So <laughs> I want to get it all in right now, so that way I don't have to bring it up again. So, so what do you got? Do you have a favorite flugelhorn player, man? Who's your favorite guy? <laughs> He's, think about uh, it. We'll, 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 we'll come back to that. Think about it. Cause it's a, anyway, yeah. what's the third song? No, as far as I know, it's, it's a one-horse town when it comes to flugelhorn players. We have <laughs> we have Only Love Can Break Your Heart, which is this really kind of sparse type of tune, sparse-sounding bass, acoustic guitar, drums. It's really um, uh, it's syncopated in all the cool ways. I, It's... Uh, you know, my wife will tell you, that's probably one of my favorite songs of all time. And uh, I don't know. Uh, again, it's just like Neil Young, 
his voice, even on certain things, a song that's as simple as that. Uh, yeah. Like, it's, I don't know. It just resonates in every single way you could possibly want. And, you know, I've played that in my solo set for a long time, too. And, uh, it's almost impossible to sing. Uh, you need a lot of, uh, <laughs> certainly need a lot of reverb on your voice and then try yeah. to sing it early in the set before your voice starts cracking, too. But, you know, it really is just a sad song, too. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and But, no, that's, I think... I mean, how do you go wrong? There's the first three tracks, and the third track is that, and it's like, where else do you go, you know? Yeah. And then what do you do? You take a song that's that, uh, uh, you know, here's a slow, melodic tune, very simple song, and then comes into back to Neil Young with, uh, with the next track, the Southern Man, which is Only Love Can Break Your Heart. Here's this song that's so sweet, so nice, and about, you know, some re- people can relate to, heartbreaking song into fuck you Alabama southern man you know and it's like great you know sticks it to the rednecks in the south and you know racism as a whole and it's and he does it in a way too you know the piercing guitars in there it's almost like to add insult to injury with the lyrics it's a fucking great song you know, from from a recording point of view, Southern Man, it, it struck me as such an interesting choice, not just in the position of the record, but the way that they captured the sound. You know, it, it sounds as if you're, you know, as the listener, you've interrupted a band practice session. It, yeah. it, it sounds like, you know, it's about two measures into that opening riff, and it just feels like really... It just feels like very impromptu. But... Yeah, he does that. I think you can almost say that about a lot of these songs too. And this song is definitely the, again, the odd man out from the tradi- the songs that are on this record. And, uh, but you know, like I think there was like a later album that Neil Young did with you know, members of Pearl Jam. I think it's called New York. I can't remember it uh, later on. But every song, it sounds like they just left the recorder on and. It was almost kind of produced, well, well, we'll just start here, and there it goes. You know, and some of the songs don't end at the right point and stuff, but yeah. that's where rock and roll, this is before Pro Tools and all that shit, and mistakes stayed in, and those mistakes and the, the blemishes made the songs more real. Uh, and again, I think if you listen to that, I, I would hate to see like a, a modern-day producer take someone like Neil Young now and say, okay, let's do this. Well, we got the drum track here a little bit wrong. We can fix that with Pro Tool. You know, Southern Man is certainly not one of those songs. Uh, but again, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's 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 angry. It's, it, and it, you know, the, the guitar solos in there are just, again, I think every part of that. I can't imagine hearing a song like that in 1970. That's something that is just new. It must, you know, I'd just love to hear that one if I was like 1970 for the first time, but it must have been like when people first heard it. Jarring, I'm sure. Absolutely yeah. jarring. You know, there was this book, I, and I didn't realize this, for, for the longest time I thought that it was, uh, you know, uh, Leonard Skinner responding to, to Southern Man in such an aggressive way with Sweet Home Alabama, but there's a book out there which I was unfamiliar with until recently called Waging Heavy Peace colon a hippie dream and leonard skinner you know was not responding allegedly okay in this book they were responding to a different neil young song which is on a completely different record called alabama alabama yeah yeah 
Yeah, that's some, I guess, some weird misnomer out there. Um, for the Like I said, for the longest time, I always thought it was about, you know. I think Alabama's on other hard, men. So yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it, you know, Alabama's still talking about the same shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. Southern man is trying to tell you to go fuck yourself. Yeah. And Alabama is being a little bit more specific. And not yeah. just the Southern man, but you Southern men in Alabama. And, again, hopefully I'm not insulting any people in Alabama. That's certainly no. Awesome. No, no, but it does. On paper, it looks like a misdirection. Like, no, it's yeah. about this isn't about Southern Man. This is about Alabama. Okay. Yeah. After Southern Man, we have, you know, we have a song that I was really unfamiliar with, Scott. It's a it clocks in at one minute and sixteen seconds. And for any Grateful Dead fans out there, for all Deadheads out there, it, it would confuse you too. The song is called "Till the Morning Comes." Yeah, it's not the Dead version, no doubt about that. I, yeah, uh, it's. I think it's just, you know, Neil Young's ability to create melody. And I think he had a melody and he probably, and this is, and I don't know if it's the case or not, but, you know, you have a minute and 20, we got to kill side A of the song. Neil Young came up with something on the spot, you know, that's the only thing, but it's just really repeating. Uh, uh, well, I'm not going to try to sing it here for you. I'm not going to embarrass myself on the phone, but uh, it's just repeating the same melody over and over and over again for a minute yeah. and 20 seconds. But yeah. it's to the end of the album, you know. Again, it's just simple, straight to the point. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, yeah. Yeah, really cool moment, really cool compressed vocals. It's a very quiet track. Nice yeah. moment with Stephen Stills uh, called back into the fray to, to supply some yeah. backing vocals. Yeah. Okay, after uh, Till the Morning Comes, we have a song that's got that classic sort of warbly kind of vocal stylings from Neil. And uh, it's called Oh, Comma, Lonesome Me. It's um, it's actually a cover. It's a Chet Atkins cover, right? You know what? If you told me that's a Chet Atkins cover today, that's the first time I ever knew it was a Chet Atkins cover. So there you go. I just learned something new here, courtesy of Matt Tarka's cover to cover. I did not know that right now. (laughs) So how about that? to uh, get out there and find the old Chet Atkins version. So <laughs> I, I, when you listen to it, I said oh, it's like an old cowboy song that's a little, you know, with a Neil Young twist on it. But now I'm curious to hear the old Chet Atkins version to hear the cowboy version of it. Yeah, apparently he recorded it in Nashville at, at RCA um, back in late 1957. So it's got to be out there on a 78 or a 45 somewhere in your record store. You know what's great about the Chet Atkins version of Oh to Me, too? They have a hell of a flugelhorn player on that. And it's, uh, <laughs> Chet Atkins, he was more of a, uh, he was really, you know, when it came to identifying talent, one of his great talents uh, in Nashville specifically was the flugelhorn circuit. But now I have to listen to that, the Oh to Me with Chet Atkins. So that's going to be my homework as soon as we finish this call. We are talking with Scott Fallon of the Free Flow and Musical Experience. Um, after Oh Lonesome Me, another sparse tune, piano and vocals, um, Birds. What do you think of this track, Scott? Yeah, it's <laughs> one of those tunes that holds up. Again, I, it's, when you listen to After the Bull Rush, that's not the song you come home with and say, man, that's like one of those hidden tracks on there that I can't get enough of. But Still a great tune, and again, it's just like, you know, Neil Young is just throwing these songs out there one after the other, and there's just another version of a great song that's just under the radar. Yeah, 
Are there any lyrics that stick out for you for Birds, or is it just one of those timeless classics that is on After the Gold Rush? Yeah, you know, I would say it's more one of those classics at times. Nothing off of there really says to me, oh, that's one of those memorable lyrics from Birds, but uh, it's still a great tune. Yeah. After Birds, which is, you know, again, this really sort of quiet, you know, piano lace track, we're back to, you know, more of that sort of rocker stuff that you get from Neil Young and, and Crazy Horse, really just punchy electric guitar, drums and bass. There's a real youthful exuberance to a, a tune called When You Dance, I Can Really Love. You know, and I, I think that's another one of those songs. I remember the first time I heard that song was part of the live Rust when it came out and did that version. So, you know, hearing it on this album, it's completely different, but that's what I, I like about it. It's still a good rocking song, but comparatively speaking to how it sounds on, you know, when he does it live, it's just so amazing. And again, I think it's just where Neil Young just has that ability. I think he could probably take any song he has on this album too, if he really wanted to, and turn it into a rock anthem, like a hard rock anthem. He just has that ability. But again, phenomenal song. Uh, yeah, I guess it just expands upon his uh, the scope of his songwriting. After, excuse me, after we, after when you dance, I can really love. We have a tune called "I Believe in You," and when I was listening back to the main riff of the song, it, it, it feels a little bit like Neil's answer to uh, that Tommy James and the Shondells tune, "Crimson and Clover." <laughs> but I might be mistaken. No, that's funny you say that. I think probably probably the exact same melody too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, eh. Or he, or he's mocking the melody, one or the two. <laughs> I wonder what Neil Young. I wonder if he was sitting here today and you say, you know what, that sounds a lot like Tommy James and his John Dells. I wonder what he'd say. You know, maybe he'd just laugh or maybe he'd just slap you. But he yeah, might, you're right. I feel like you he would slap me. <laughs> well, he might slap me, you know. Who knows? Hey, you know, you're right. You say fuck you. He's not right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tommy James is a good songwriter in his own right. But... Oh, he had uh, Crimson yeah. and Clover. What were the other ones? Uh, I have that album upstairs, so I should know. Uh, yeah, I think we're alone now. Was another big track of his. <laughs> yeah, that somebody else made famous in the '80s. But yeah, I believe in you. That's uh that's another good tune. And then we have um, uh, closing after the gold rush, we have Cripple Creek Ferry. And, you know, <laughs> there are some really cool vote either. Like he's, he's trying some different stuff with his vocals. Um, in the second verse, it sounds like he's actually on the ferry boat, you know, like he's calling out like a captain from a CB radio. I don't know if that was a studio, like, you know, wizard type of trick or what, but, it did something kind of funny in there, and it just really, for me, made this song. And, you know, can't help the, uh, you know, looking at the name and wonder if, uh, you know, this is the same Cripple Creek that the band sung about once upon a time. You know, I, I was wondering at the same time, too, is like uh, it has to be some type of relation, you know, where is something that uh, uh, inspires two bands exactly. Uh and I don't know. I think that's one of the songs, too. I think, reading back on it, I know this was originally intended to be a soundtrack for a, a movie that 
that loss. I don't know all the details on that. But this is, I think, one of the songs that was specifically written to be part of the movie soundtrack. And again, it's like one of the songs, at least in my opinion, doesn't necessarily fit within the framework of the album. But again, I think there's where the beauty of it is, too. You know, so. We're talking with Scott Fallon here from the Free Flowing Musical Experience on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarkin. Scott, a question that I like to ask, you know, any guest on the program is it's about cover art. And I'm looking at the album cover here. What is conjured up in your mind when you look at this? Um, you know, just what do you think about it? What do you think of, like, the, just the look and feel of it? Does it um, – what resonates with you? What comes to mind? You know, from what I understand, I think Graham Nash was originally on the uh, picture, too. But, you know, whenever you say, like, I'm a old psych major from way back. I was going to be a sociology major in college. It's, you know, whenever you have your face blurred out, and you know, I don't know if he's at this point, if he's almost like the shy musician where he doesn't know where this is going to come out, you know, where, you know, I don't really know, you know, and there, he's got that one thing too, as far as the, uh, you know, rock and roll, no nose, the, the picture in front of the wall too. <laughs> so it's like one of those things. Yeah. But yeah. You, you always wonder about that. Hey, it's not necessarily in focus. It's, uh, but at the same time, it's, here's, you think about this. It's like a, a guy who, this is at the top of his game too. And this is what he chose as the, uh, record album, so you, I mean, it's the the album art, you know, and this is too when there was so much album art was uh, just so influential, and this it's like almost like he uh, shying away from that to some degree, and again, I don't know that that's something that's been said or uh, yeah, it's it, it really is an interesting piece of work. There is there is an older woman that is walking past him who isn't making eye contact at all with Neil, you have this big brick wall, there's this big iron gate in front of it, the album title and, and, and artist is at the tippy top, it's in solid gold, you know, block letters that kind of, you know, resemble the thickness of the bricks behind the iron gate. I, you know, I, I can't help but think there's, there's got to be some sort of tie-in with a place like Fort Knox here. Huh, huh. Yeah, I I've never thought of it. Like, like there's that. this like there's this like it's this fortress that is unpenetrable and you you had your chance and now the gate is locked. I yeah, I don't know what the significance of that kind huh. of idea would be with this music, but um or maybe it's because it's nineteen seventy and this golden utopian society that everybody thought the sixties you know, was about and was going to continue until something like Altamont happened. You know, huh. I'm, I'm, I feel like there's some sort of correlation with this. What, what do you think about that? Again, I'm just, I'm spitballing. I tell you right what, now. throwing out ideas is like, this is like um, uh, catching a buzz with you talking about that. I never really thought that much about it, to tell you the truth. But now that you think about it, I guess that could definitely be something like that. I really don't know what the old woman has to do anything. Maybe she just ran into the picture. If maybe. We're talking about Altamont. Or maybe that's... Uh, how Grace Slick felt after they punched uh, uh, what's uh, Hell's Angels punched the guitars oh. in the face. Right. But no, I never thought about it like that, man. That's interesting. That's uh, 
I would wonder about the correlation, be, you know, in the sense that, you know, did Altamont happen in summer of 70? Because this record was released in September. Yeah, I guess it did. I guess it was right. At, yeah, I guess it was the summer of 1970, wasn't it? Uh, but, yeah, but, I, you know, looking at stuff and, you know, not that I'd written any uh, uh, stories about the album or anything like that, but I can imagine certainly that has to be, I mean, that was a significant event at that time. I can't imagine that maybe that did influence them. Maybe it did influence certain songs on the album, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the gate he just happened to walk across at that particular time. I think uh, uh, I think it was like the, I'm not mistaken, it was like the New York uh, NYU or New York Law School or something like that, where there's a stake, I can't recall. Okay. That's it. That's really interesting. Something to ponder over for, for the future, I guess, or to find, you know, some literature out there that might be able to explain this, you know, this this random, you know, stream of consciousness that we have going right now. Yeah. Have you anybody know? Send it to the Three Flow Musical Experience Facebook page. I'd love to talk to you about it. Scott Fallon, it has been it's been a pleasure talking to you about Neil Young's third solo record after the Gold Rush. Thanks for coming on the program sharing your thoughts, reflecting on what this record means to you. And uh, this has been really fun. Thanks so much. Matt, I appreciate it, man. This was a lot of fun. It was right. And I look forward to uh, listening to more of the other, uh, some of the other guys on your show here and down the line. So again, thanks for having me. All right. My thanks to Scott Fallon for taking some time to stop by cover to cover today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you so very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Take a moment to tell some friends. Take a moment to tell your family about our show. Let us know if you like it. Let us know if you don't like it. It helps us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover. <laughs>